welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Well, if you haven't gotten a chance to meet before, my name is Roland. <laughs> um, and I get to serve here as our youth director, uh, which really just means I get to lead our junior high and high school ministries, including all these people right here. Now's your chance. Man, and it's been really fun getting to lead that team and all of these students over here. Um, and I've gotten to do that for the past couple of years, and it's just been such a blast. So if we haven't gotten to meet yet, I'm so excited to get a chance to say hello at some point soon. But today, what we get to talk about this morning is we are talking about peace, inner and interior peace. Uh, with Thanksgiving coming up this week and Christmas right around the corner, peace is something that we kind of talk a lot about in this season. Am I right? Uh, but it's kind of funny that it's in this season where we seem to lack peace the most. Uh, think about it. Like, really, how many of us sitting here right now can really say that we feel inner interior peace in this moment. You, you see, with the season, often there's a firestorm of anxiety to get meals done, to be with the right family, and the right, and sometimes just being with family in general, uh, to make it to a church service, to have enough financially to make it through the season, uh, to fake a smile as you eat a super dry turkey in front of you. But also for some of us, it's, it's, it's hard in a different way. Uh, it's hard because it's a reminder of maybe someone that's missing at the table uh, or a reminder of the people that we can't be with in this season. Yeah, peace we talk a lot about this season, but, but many of us are still restless and anxious. But whether it's this holiday season or outside of it, what we're really doing, we're, we're always on this pursuit for that peace. We're, we're always looking for it. That's why we buy the toys that we buy, we eat the things that we eat, we go to the restaurants that we go to, uh, we drink the things that we drink, we go on, on nature walks and, and stack rocks on top of each other. Because in doing these things, we think that we can finally find that peace that we're looking for, that we're chasing after. But if we're honest with, with ourselves, when we kind of look back, these things, they don't really work, right? They're, they're kind of a, a cheaper form of peace. They don't really last. It's really just a way to escape, to cope with the pain that we have. But this morning, what I want to talk about is the peace that God offers us. A peace that is better than that. A, 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 a better peace than the things that we try to chase after. You see, peace in the Bible, it's not just the absence of conflict. It doesn't just mean pain goes away. Uh, it, it, better in the scriptures, it's this picture uh, of being complete, uh, uh, of tranquility, the presence of wholeness. It, it's not just two people, like, stopping to fight. It's those two people coming together, reconciling, and working together. Uh, Tim Mackey, he, he kind of, he, uh, a Bible teacher, says it this way. Biblical peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. I'll say that one more time. Peace, biblical peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. You see, when the Bible talks about peace, it's far better than what we instinctively go after, 
the things that we want to chase. It, it lasts longer. It's more deep. It's fuller. Yeah, peace, God's peace, is this interior wholeness and tra- tranquility that God provides for us and offers us right here and right now. And I'd be lying uh, if I wasn't upfront uh, and didn't tell you guys that, man, talking about peace, it, it's something that actually hits pretty close to home. That, that this message isn't something that is just theoretical or, or a nice idea. It, it's actually something uh, that my wife and I have gone to live through and experience. Uh, you see, Ari and I, we got married to my veteran father's sheer delight on July 4th, 2018. Independence Day. <laughs> and if you ever get married, a lot of people, they've got a lot of things to say about your first year of marriage. Um, a lot of people will say, hey, your first year of marriage, man, it is awesome. It, it is so fun. It's the best year of life. You're, you're doing life uh, with your best friend. Uh, you're, you're building a family. Uh, it, it's just a grand adventure. And then other people will tell you, hey, your first year of marriage, it's terrible. It's hard. And then if you're like me, you don't ask any more questions because that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> so six months into in the, mine and Ari's marriage, uh, ours was trending towards the, this is awesome, this is great. Uh, six months, we, we were just at a really good place in our relationship. Uh, Ari had started serving in our youth ministry. We had just gotten back from this awesome winter camp that we had. Um, and things were just going really well. But what we, what we would enter and what we didn't know is we would enter maybe one of the most heartbreaking and difficult seasons of our life. Uh, a long story short, uh, a couple weeks after we got back from that winter retreat, Ari wasn't feeling well, so we went to the doctor. And to our complete and utter surprise, we found out Ari was pregnant. That miraculously, we were that 0.1% that we couldn't be guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but imagine us in that doctor's office, just completely floored. We had no idea. We weren't ready. We, we walked out of that hospital uh, just shell-shocked. Uh, we were disoriented. We, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. Um, so what we did was we called Ryan and Jenny because uh, we needed some help, right? We, we felt like we were too young. We weren't ready. There was so much that we had to do to get ready to, to grow our family. Uh, so we called Ryan and Jenny, and they dropped everything that, so they could sit down and talk with us. Uh, and man, as we sat there and told them what was going on, that we were expecting a kid, uh, they just prayed for us. They pastored us. They gave us good perspective. And we started to take a turn because this was actually something that was exciting, right? Uh, that, that moment of despair, it, it slowly, in that 24 hours, started to turn to joy. And if you know anything about me and Ari, we love kids, right? We absolutely love children. In fact, for the longest time, my bio on the Awakening Church website said that I was an oversized five-year-old. <laughs> and I was like, we got to change that. Like, people aren't going to take me seriously. <laughs> so we changed it. <laughs> But then, uh, a few doctor visits later, uh, we found out that that, that little baby uh, wasn't growing anymore. And that, in fact, it was consistent with a miscarriage. 
And just like that, we, we felt like we had the life taken out of us, right? We were devastated, heartbroken, full of tears. And what's worse is that the actual miscarriage process, uh, it would stretch out for weeks later than we had expected. That it would prolong the grief that we felt and had until Ari finally did have that miscarriage and it just happened to be a few days before Mother's Day. And you know, uh, as much as this story is mine, uh, it's also my wife's, right? <clears throat> it's, it's our story. And as, as I was preparing for this time, I, I thought that I'd read you something that she wrote on that Mother's Day because, um, man, my wife in all of this she helped lead me in God's peace in such a heartbreaking season. So friends, this is what she wrote. March 19th, we found out I was pregnant. Remember, this is Ari speaking. Uh, April 9th, we found out there had been no growth. May 9th, May 9th 2019, I miscarried our baby. Uh, on most of these days, I wore a shirt that quoted the hymn, It is well with my soul. <clears throat> Roland and I described 2019 as whiplash. Battling a chronic disease was consuming and miserable enough, but it all seemed to turn around when we found out I was pregnant. Yes, it was a surprise, but no, it was not immediately a happy one. Uh, it was completely terrifying and neither of us felt ready, but it took less than 24 hours after finding out that we found our excitement growing and growing. It's actually hard to think about uh, how excited we were now, because all I really know is the sadness that took its place. But maybe that's telling enough. After about a month of this building joy, we found out over an ultrasound and from a very blunt doctor uh, that there was no growth, which meant a miscarriage. And little did we know that my body wouldn't recognize what was happening, would stretch out the miscarriage process over a month, and would include an ER trip, would put us in one of the most trying and heartbreaking situations in our first year of marriage. I can't really explain what my heart has gone through these past few months. I really just have to take it day by day and trust that the Lord is faithful and good. And because of that, it can still be well. Today, Mother's Day was a lot harder than expected, though. I don't have a bow to package this story up with, it just felt freeing to share it on a day that now holds a lot more significance. Thank you to everyone for your prayers, gifts, and grace for me in this season. I've drawn so much strength from you all. And friends, when we talk about the peace of God, this is the peace of God that we're talking about. The peace of God that, that doesn't bend to circumstances, that that. Uh, that weather storms, that isn't like philosophies that tell us we have to be numb to the pain or to, to, to be removed from it. No, no God's peace, was it? It, it's taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. It, it brings tranquility and that wholeness to our lives. And surprisingly, in all that heartbreak, in, in one of the most trying seasons of our lives, through tears and snot, Ari and I found God's peace. And God, in his word, 
today is saying that we can have God's peace. And and there's one passage in scripture that I want to bring us to, to turn to and kind of anchor the rest of our time as we look to that. One that that many of us might be familiar with, but I think understanding the context of, of where Paul is writing this and looking at it a little bit deeper might bring a little bit more meaning to God's words for our lives. You see, the Apostle Paul, he had every reason to be anxious and to be robbed of joy and peace. And when writing this this letter to the church in Philippi, he's actually in a Roman prison. And it's in a jail cell where he is awaiting possible death that he writes about God's peace and that how we can have it right now. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here it is, the peace of God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Church, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, Father in heaven, God, thank you for this time to to worship you, uh, to open up your word, uh, and and to chase the peace that you want to give us. God, help us this morning. Help us to see you for who you are, good and loving. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, the the first thing that he says, right, when pursuing this peace that we all want, that we're all going after, the, the first thing that he says is that our circumstances don't have to kill our joy, right? He says it at the very beginning. Rejoice in the Lord. And then what is he, he doesn't say sometimes. He doesn't say when things are going well. Uh, He doesn't say when things are going to go your way. He doesn't say uh, when you feel like it. He says rejoice in the Lord always, always. And for many of us, that gives us a lot of pause, right? That would have given me, Ari, me and Ari, a lot of pause. It's like, whoa, 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 Paul, have you lost your mind? Do you know what it's like to, to try to pay rent in the Silicon Valley? Uh, do, do you know how hard it is to, to, to live in this world that's so inundated with all these messages saying I'm not enough? Do you know what personal pain that I'm, and strife that I'm going through? But he makes it clear, right, by repeating himself. And he says, again, I will say rejoice. And what's striking about this, what, what I love about this is it's not a suggestion. It's actually a command. It's an emphatic command. What Paul is saying is he's saying, trust me, trust me, that you can choose joy. That joy doesn't have to be all these variables that that just line up right. It's actually a choice, a choice that we can make to be joyful, to rejoice, that we can choose joy. Paul is saying this because joy, where, where does it come from? It comes from this unchanging privilege from God as his dearly beloved as his children, as his sons and daughters. And what he's saying is that, that the presence of God, it, it, it far outweighs the circumstances surrounding us. 
that the presence of God with us is greater than the circumstances surrounding us. That, that joy, it, it comes from a deep sense of security. Joy is an attitude that, that the Christian can adopt, that the child of God can have because of the hope that we have in God's love toward us. That the creator of the universe, that the one who knows me has formed me, that he is with me. And that's enough to rejoice in. And because he is with me, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. That God's presence in my life is just that good. It's that good. And, and Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he says it pretty simply this way. The opposite of joy is not sadness. The opposite of joy is not sadness. Then what is it? The opposite of joy is hopelessness. See, friends, we can choose joy because we have hope in Christ, right? That Christ, that Jesus has brought God near, that we have hope in his return, in him bringing wholeness again. So Paul continues on, right? He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And what Paul's saying is there's something about joy, about choosing joy, and being reasonable or, or, or gentle with those around us that leads to peace. That, that we don't have to hold on to, to uh, or reserve our gentleness from, from the people that irk us or from the people that seem to take away our peace. Uh, that, that when we show our reasonableness and gentleness to all, that, that somehow it's going to lead us to God's peace. That even at the Thanksgiving table with your Uncle Larry that seems to be on the wrong side of the political spectrum, that you could give him reasonableness and gentleness. Uh, that, that our enemies, the people that seem to take away our peace, that in being reasonable and gentle, God's peace will follow. And we know this to be true, right? We, we know this isn't just a nice idea, that this command holds some weight because we, we think of Jesus, right? This starts to sound familiar. We think of Jesus on his way to the cross, had joy before him, despite his circumstances. And you see, often we think joy is this jovial thing, that, that, that joy only comes in the absence of pain, that it's always with this big, bright smile. But Jesus shows us otherwise, beaten, mocked, ridiculed. He let his gentleness be known to his enemies and leading up to the cross, praying to the Father with such obvious pain and suffering that he was going through, he still had joy. He could still rejoice. He still had hope. This is what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, right? And what a lot of commentators will say, that, that what that joy is, it, it's you and me. That, that Jesus endured the cross, had all that pain, the, and the joy that awaited him was being in a relationship again with you and me. And now we, in turn, can have joy because of that, that we have hope in the coming Christ who is coming back, who is making all things new and whole, and that our joy is no longer circumstantial, that in his presence 
is the fullness of joy. Because our hope is in what? It's in the resurrected king, and regardless of what's going on, our, our lives uh, can still have joy, and it can't be taken away. So the second thing that Paul says as we talk about pursuing peace was one, to rejoice, right? Is two, he says, prayer needs to be a priority. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Paul's saying, as we choose joy, as we choose prayer, it'll lead to peace. And prayer is kind of a funny thing, right? Prayer is, prayer is often like the thing that we go to when everything is going wrong. Uh, it's kind of, for me sometimes, like my last priority, right? It's like that break-in-case-of-emergency fire extinguisher you, you hope you never have to use. That's often how we see prayer. But what Paul is saying, no, you, you got to choose prayer first. Because when we turn to prayer, what, what it does, it, it's not exhausting our options anymore. It's not looking inside of ourselves that, that we can somehow find the things that we're looking for. It, it's turning to God. And Paul's saying if it's worth praying or worrying about it, that we need to pray about it. And, it, and it, it, if we turn to God, what it does for our hearts, it reminds us who God is. When we posture ourselves towards him, towards God, and present all of our requests, our worries, and our anxieties, we remember who God is. That he's not just capable of, do, capable of doing what we need, but he also loves us, that he is a father who loves his children. And, and I think that's why Jesus says, when he's teaching on prayer in the Gospel of Matthew, he says this, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. You see, when we go to God in prayer, we can have confidence that God is in control of our lives. And that not just that God is in control of our lives, but that a good, perfect, loving, heavenly Father is in control of our lives. Uh, I, I think I best understood it this way. Uh, I, I think I best understood this, this idea of how much God loves us as a father, the way that he often portrays himself in the scriptures, right, is when I think of my baby sister. And when I say baby sister, she's like 25 now. But she's still the baby sister. Uh, you see, growing up, uh, Carolyn and I, uh, we would go to our mom, right, when we wanted something. And I've learned a lot from my mom. My mom, she's pretty sly. Uh, Whenever my sister went to my mom and asked her for something, and it was something my mom either didn't want to give her or something that my mom didn't want to look like she was the pushover or anything like that, she's like, you know what, just go to your dad. Go to your dad. Because my mom knew that my dad had a very hard time saying no to my sister, that there was this sweet spot that my, that my sweet dad has for Carolyn that he has like the hardest time saying no to her. Me, not so much. <laughs> My sister, yeah. So, I mean, I learned, like I, I'm a smart kid and I'd, like, I'd be like, hey, yo, Carolyn, 
ask dad if we could have McDonald's for lunch today. And he'd say yes. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the picture that we have of God. That he just loves us and he adores us. That when we relinquish control and we say, God, you're in control and you give good things. You give me what I need and I can call you father. And you don't just give me what I need or you don't just give me what I want. You, you give me what I need. Could you imagine if my dad always gave me McDonald's? Oh, my gosh. But he's a father, anxiously, eagerly waiting for us to come and ask. Have you asked those things that bug you, that bother you, that are taking our peace, that are bringing us so much anxiety? Have you brought them to God? Have you asked? But the key here is Paul says how to do it. He says to do it with thankfulness, right? He says to do it with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Well, like before our requests are even done, before we've even finished saying what we need, before anything's ha even happened, do it with thanksgiving. And a lot of us, myself included, are just like, wait, how, how am I supposed to be thankful if he hasn't done anything yet? H how am I supposed to be thankful if it doesn't go the way I want? But that's just it, right? We, we can thank God because he is good. We can trust that he gives us what we need, that he's our father and he cares for us. And, and it's when we remember that, 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 we can, that he can say, God, whatever you do, uh, I'm thankful. I may not like when you give it to me. I, I may not like how much time I have to wait. I, I may not like that you actually said no. I, I may not like it, but God, you are good. You've given me new life. You care for me. You love me. Therefore, I can be thankful. So Paul says, if our circumstances don't have to kill our joy, and prayer needs to be a priority, how does he end? He ends with, with, with this, the part that many of us are familiar with, talking about God's peace. But what does he say about it? He says, God's peace is stronger than our circumstances. He writes, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul saying, as we rejoice and we pray, that God's peace will follow. And God's peace, it, it's strong. It, it will guard our, our hearts and our minds. In other words, the ways that we feel and the ways that we think. And our hearts and minds are funny things, right? When I am completely stressed out, you can ask Ari for a fact check, my mind just starts to run. And all these, I, all these things are being said to me, right? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Nobody likes you. And this one's untrue. You're not that funny. Um, <laughs> your to-do list is insurmountable. You don't have enough money. Why even try? And left running amok, like that, that brings anxiety, does it not? Uh, but what Paul's saying, uh, as we choose joy and we pray, that God's peace will protect us from that. And I think the Psalms give us a good example of this, right? The, the Psalms give us people who are anxious and hurting. They're full of people talking to their hearts and their minds, right? Acknowledging them. That they're saying things like, I I'm in the midst of my enemies. Or why are you downcast, oh my soul? 
But in the same psalm, what do they do? They also say, don't forget who has saved you. Don't, don't forget who has made you. Don't forget who has provided for you. Don't forget who loves you. You see, I think the psalms give us a good picture of what it looks like to choose joy and to choose prayer and to see that peace of God that, that guards our hearts. And that, that word guard, it's like this picture of a centurion or, or a guard, right? It's like a, a Roman guard, right? Paul is, is literally in a prison cell as he's writing this. And there's a Roman guard standing right outside, right outside his jail cell, looking, standing watch, protecting this place. And what Paul is saying, God's peace is just like that. That it will guard our hearts and minds. That is looking out, standing guard, protecting our hearts and minds. He says, whatever discouraging thoughts, whatever untrue feelings, God says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. I, I, I am stronger than that. He's getting beyond anxiety and worry, overcoming an anxious mind, is to look to God, to, to trust his promises, and have hope that he will bring wholeness and healing. And in that difficult season, for Ari and I, it wasn't always easy to choose joy and prayer. Uh, Sometimes, no, oftentimes, we needed people to help us do that. Uh, it took others praying for us, others just sitting with us, bringing a meal, eating a meal with us, reminding us of our hope in Jesus. And in all that messiness, uh, we could still find peace. And that's why we have church, right? We sing songs to remind us who God is. We have sermons that reveal God's love towards us, his truth towards us. That's why we have small groups that meet during the week to be reminded of these things, to pray for one another. That's why we have the prayer teams every service, because sometimes we need someone to help us pray, someone to just pray for us. We have all these all these things, why? Because we know that they lead to God's peace in our lives. Because when we do these things, God's personal, intimate, inner peace is present for us. And if the band is hiding behind me, I want to invite them up as we start to close. But often, we look around our life and wonder, why, why don't I have God's promises where, where is God's peace in my life, right? But notice that, that God's promise for peace, it follows, it follows two commands, right? Notice that, that these promises, that they, or this promise, it, it follows two commands. And, and I've had so many conversations, right, with, with people who say, uh, I've tried the church thing, uh, I went to youth group in high school, or, or the Bible and all that, like I... I try, it doesn't really bring me peace. It, it's not really working for me. And what I've come to realize is most that step away from faith are stepping away from a faith that was never practiced. That we get so fixated on this peace that God promises, but we neglect his commands. But what would happen? What would, what would happen if we took God at his word? If we said and actually believed what he has said, that choosing joy and choosing prayer will lead to God's peace in our lives. 
You see, we're all in the pursuit of peace. And and the question that that I want to leave us with today is, are we going to pursue a a counterfeit peace or are we going to pursue the peace of God? So as we continue in worship, uh, in singing, and in reflection, I, I also want to invite you to the communion table. At the communion table is where we remember the body and blood broken and sacrificed, spilled for us, that we might have God's peace that brings wholeness and tranquility to our lives.